All right, so um, today I will share some concluding thoughts about faith, but before that, I just wanted to highlight where we're going next. Okay, we're coming towards the end of the year, and Piero just mentioned the idea of a new city series. Honestly, I came up with the name. I'm not good with titles. I hate titles. I hate spending too much time on them. So don't do with it whatever you want, but this is where we're kind of going. Um, so today we're, we're going to wrap up faith, and I want to just talk a bit about the idea of God's heavenly city, because in some of these verses, it talks about God preparing for us a city. What does that really mean? Um, and I think the staff of this church um, had a meeting maybe a couple of months ago, and we were already talking about um, what has gone before. Uh, we are maybe about coming to two years as a church. We are pretty new as a church plan. Um, so we talked about what we have been doing and where we think God is bringing us next. All right, and prayerfully, um, in the next few Sundays, I'll be sharing God's word on, again, you know, I, I suck at titles, okay? But the idea is talking about how God's city is different from cities' life that we see on earth. And one of the things that we have not really covered in the church, we have covered many practices in the church, but one of the practices that we've not really covered is the idea of giving. Um, so I want to share with you more about, you know, what does money look like in God's kingdom? What is God's economy look like compared to the world's economy? And finally, we will have, um, on the first Sunday of December, we have Vision Sunday. Uh, many of us are newer to the church, and I think Carol, Andrea, and some of the church staff would be happy to share with everyone what God has put on their hearts so that we can all pray together um, as a church for, for God's vision. Okay, but before that, let's finish up on the, the faith series. So today, um, it's go it might sound a bit different. Um, we're, we're all not used to looking at the verses very closely. <laughs> but today, um, I, I feel in my heart that I wanna, want us to really look at some of these verses. So if you want, you can follow on the screen. If you have your Bibles and you want to do that, that's fine as well. But we are really going to look at each verse. Um, the past several weeks, we've been looking at stories and, and just summarizing those stories because we don't have time to tell the entire story in church on, on a Sunday morning. Um, but now we're going to look at some of these verses, okay? And if you feel like, wow, you're intimidated, there's so many words up there, don't be, let's go, let's break it down one by one. So, in the middle of Hebrews 11, there is this passage uh, that we did not cover earlier, but is very important to understanding what faith looks like. So in the first part of this verse, it says that these all died in faith, not having received the things promised. Okay, and talking about promises, I remember that um, I brought a box to, you know, give us a visual image of God's promises. Um, I, I used to do more uh, children's camp and, and teach children. I kind of miss those days because being with kids are more fun. You get to play stuff, you know, if you play a game during the Sunday service, that looks like you're not very, being very serious. <laughs> um, okay, but imagine that this is uh, a box that represents God's promises. And Hebrews 11 verse 13 is telling us that you know, some of these people in Hebrews 11, God promised them something. God showed them something in the box, but they died without actually receiving those promises. 
And let's take a look a bit at what these promises are. Um, so what are God's promises to Abraham? Okay, so Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 to 3 is where God meets Abraham and speaks to him for the first time in the Bible. And God says to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I'll show you. And I'll make of you a great nation and I'll bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So God asked Abraham to bring his family and leave his homeland and tells Abraham that he will give Abraham a few promises. Um, if we can summarize it really quickly, God promises Abraham that um, he will give him land, make him a great nation, make his name great, and make him a blessing to others. Now, for those of you who were here when we talk about Abraham, one of the things that, and if you read the, the story of Abraham for yourself, one of the things that you realize is that um, none of these promises actually were fulfilled when Abraham was alive, except maybe the last one. Abraham was a blessing to some of his neighbors that he was living around. But otherwise, things like the land, he didn't get the land. Um, a great nation, he didn't have like, enough descendants to you know, call himself a nation. He, he had a big family for sure, but not enough to be like a country. Um, and his name wasn't that great. He wasn't really well known um, in the land that he was living in. All right. And if we look down the family generations, we see there's Abraham and Sarah. Um, that's who God called. And then from Abraham and Sarah, we have Abraham's son, Isaac, and his wife, Rebecca. And we have Jacob and Rachel. And we have Joseph. And obviously, Joseph has other siblings, but the, the key character is Joseph. And comes a number of intermediate generations. We don't exactly know how many years. Um, it's debatable. The Bible does mention a figure of 430 years, but that might not be, um, that depends on how you calculate the number of years, okay? But regardless of it, then we go down to Moses, and then finally Joshua. And it's Moses and Joshua who actually brings the people of Israel um, to the promised land. And Moses himself doesn't actually enter the promised land. He, he dies before he goes into the promised land. And it's Joshua who um, leads the people of Israel to, to occupy the promised land. So what we can see here is that um, Abraham was given some promises um, and asked to, to do something that is, uh, to make a very big decision, to leave his homeland and most of the family members that he knew to go to this place that God was going to show him. But he does not get to enjoy the land. He does not get to enjoy what God has promised him. And in fact, it's only his descendants, and we're not talking about, even about his children, but, and not even his grandchildren, but his great-great-great-great-great-grandchildren who get to enjoy the promises of God. So imagine today for yourself, you know, like if someone came up to you or God came up to you and promised you something, and you're like, okay, God, I'm going to follow you because of your promise. But when you die, you realize that, oh, actually, these promises were not fulfilled. And these promises, were, uh, they're going to be fulfilled only in, I don't know, tens or 20 generations down the line. Um, I'm not sure how you feel about that. I, I feel like in our world today, where, where, where it's very individualistic, that's something that we cannot imagine. Can we, make, can we imagine making sacrifices for 
a future that is so distant, for a family member that is so distant from us, from a descendant that we don't even see in our lifetime. Let's move on. But having seen them and greeted them for afar, um, them meaning the promises, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth, what does this mean? Remember the generations that I just showed you. Um, Abraham and his descendants spent hundreds of years wandering and living in foreign lands like strangers and exiles on the earth. It's as though they had nowhere to belong. They were always moving from one place to another as God was leading them. And Abraham himself in Genesis chapter 23 verse 4 says to um, the Hittites who were a group of people that were living in the land at that point in time, he says to them, I am a sojourner and a foreigner among you. And to sojourn means to stay temporarily. All right, so imagine um, Abraham comes out, leaves a, 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 probably a comfortable home, a stable home, somewhere familiar, and he's just forever run, wandering, um, but following God where, where God leads him. Now, after, many, many years after, after that, the early church also adopts the same language of um, sojourning and being foreigners. Okay? Um, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, Peter writes to um, his audience, he says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. He addresses the early church as people who were like Abraham, who were wandering and who were exiles on the earth. And Paul in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, tells his friends that our citizenship is in heaven. Okay? So this idea is not new. It's not just something that belonged to Abraham. It's not something that belonged to the Old Testament, but it's uh, carried into the New Testament. And I'm sure it's carried over to us today as present-day Christians and even to future generations of Christians. Um, and we'll talk a bit more about what that means to be sojourners and exiles on the earth to realize that our citizenship is in heaven. Okay, let's go back to the verse. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. So there were many opportunities for Abraham uh, and even some of his uh, descendants like Isaac and Jacob to say, um, I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> I want to go back to where my family came from because um, we are established there. We have um, our possessions there. We have our relatives there. We have family members there. I want to go back. Okay, there were many opportunities to, to do that. But, um, okay, so there were many opportunities to do that. And the next verse says, but as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. So Abraham's and his descendants kept going, kept following God because they wanted something better that can only come from God. And if you take time to read Genesis and you look at the story of Abraham, Abraham actually um, takes precautions. He, when, when, he was, when he was sending a, a servant to, back to his, his homeland to get a, a wife for Isaac, he makes sure to tell the servant not to let Isaac go back and settle down in their, home, in their hometown. That, you know, Isaac needs to get a wife and come back to where Abraham is 
and continue the journey that God has called them to. Um, so these people, this whole family, their, their, their descendants, their future generations, were all spending years of their lives wandering, not having like a place, a physical place, or, or, or like a country or identity that they could call their own because God called them out to a place um, that he had promised them. And finally, um, the last verse of this passage in the middle of Hebrews says that God, therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. All right, so this is where it's mentioned, a city. That's where I got the idea of a new city. <laughs> um, but let's dwell on this verse for a while. Imagine today that you are a parent, and I know some of us here are parents, including me, me and my wife, we have a trio daughter who um, you might have seen towards the end of worship in the, the green jacket and if you might have heard during worship talking about some kind of toys with me she has a very loud voice now imagine that you're a parent and your child is making a scene making a mess whether in a restaurant or in public and it's called it's he or she is being such a nuisance to the people around you know maybe um maybe like my daughter Lois, maybe she's She's taking the plates and then playing with them. She's dropping the, the, the glassware in, in the restaurant. Um, and as a parent, I don't know how you feel, but you know, sometimes maybe instinctively we might feel like a bit like, oh my gosh, it was like <laughs> my child's making a mess. It's like you, you, you have this sense of like, oh, please no one look at me, you know, like as a parent, you feel a bit embarrassed. Um, and we, we are reminded that the people, of, uh, the people who are listed as role models of faith in Hebrews 11, they're not perfect people. Um, if we read their stories carefully in the Old Testament, we realize that there were things that they did that were wrong, that were sin. Um, and likewise, um, we ourselves, we are not perfect people. We, we do, we, we, we continue to point to sin, we continue to do things that um, disobey God, that God doesn't want us to do. Um, but if we follow God in faith, verse 16 tells us that God is not ashamed to be called our God. Alright? It's, it's, like, it's, like it's like, imagine God is the parent and, and we are his children. We sometimes make a scene in our lives. Um, but no matter how bad things are with us, God is never ashamed to be called our God. And as parents, you know, no matter how disastrous our kids might behave, at the end of the day, we would not say that this is not my child. We would not say that I'm not this child's parents. All right. And let's dwell on this for a, um, for a bit longer because I feel like it's a very powerful verse. So when we talk about faith and we talk about following Jesus or making a decision to follow Jesus, sometimes we, um, we look at it as though like, wow, we're making such a big sacrifice. You know, but imagine God is actually the one saying that he is not ashamed to be called your God, right? Imagine that there are, there's like a gathering of gods, okay? Obviously, like Christianity, we believe that there's only one true God 
and there are no other gods. But imagine there's a group of gods and they're talking with each other and they're like, hey, you, you, you look at that, that Christian over there, you know, like, um, who, who's, who's, uh, who does this disciple belong to? Um, and God is like, that's my disciple, you know. He's not ashamed that we sometimes mess things up as long as we continue to follow him in faith. Um, and I think that's so powerful because sometimes we just forget, we just feel like, you know, it's, it's our decision that matters. We feel like faith is, you know, it's like we, we speak of it as though like we're we are making such a big sacrifice, like, hey God, I'm making such a big sacrifice to follow you. But have we ever thought about God's perspective? And in this verse says, God says that I'm proud of you. I'm not ashamed to put my name with yours. Okay, so let's talk a bit about God's heavenly city because it says um, in the previous uh, verse 16 that God has prepared for them a city. Now this, this passage comes from Revelation chapter 21 verse 1 to 4, um, which is a long passage and I don't want to put it up there because then there's a lot of words. But let me read it out to you. So in the last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 21, verse 1 to 4, it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with men. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. So those of you who were here for the start of worship, one of the songs that we sang was New Jerusalem. I would encourage you to listen to the song again because it's really based on Revelation chapter 21 verses 1 to 4. Um, and there's a lot of symbols in there, which I know sometimes can be very confusing, you know, like what does it mean to be the bride? What does it mean to be the New Jerusalem? Things like that. Um, but if I can summarize, God is telling us that he has prepared for us a city where, first of all, he will dwell with his people. He will wipe away their tears. There will, be no longer, there will no longer be death and there will be no more moaning, crying or pain. All right, so it's literally heaven. It's telling us that all the sufferings that we see on earth, all the, the things that we have to struggle with, um, including death, is going to be wiped away because God will be there with his people. All right. Um, I think we we need to appreciate why this promise of God's kingdom, God's new city, is so important. For those of us who have, you know, been through difficult times, who have, been struck, who have struggled with things, it might be easier because we are like, you know, God, we're, we're, we're suffering on this earth, we're struggling through things. Um, and that's what God has promised us in the future. But even for those of us who, are, who feel like, you know, we're doing well, um, we are not suffering, we're not crying, we're, we're not in pain, 
um, we need to appreciate that this world is fundamentally broken, that we are living in a creation that is fundamentally flawed because of um, what happened in Genesis, the fall of Adam and Eve. And because of that, it's never going to be fixed by human intelligence or science or anything. It's a world that's waiting for redemption by God. And that's why this promise is so important to millions of people across the world who might be in situations a lot worse than us. Um, so I'm going to move on again to the last part of Hebrews 11. Actually, uh, before we talk about verse 35 to 38, okay, so Hebrews 11 verse 32 um, to 34, which Jerry read earlier, um, it lists a few more examples of people who had some form of like victory as they're walking in faith with God. Okay, things like, um, talks about people who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, blah, blah, blah. Right, but verse 35 to 38 um, actually gives us a list of examples of people who faith, of, of faith who have experienced suffering, mocking, flogging, imprisonment, torture, poverty, and even being killed. And what this tells us is that um, a life of faith really does not guarantee a comfortable life. Um, I think in the stories that we have covered over the past two or three months, we have emphasized a lot uh, in a good way of how people who follow God have um, done great things for God, have been blessed by God, have obtained promises, but at the end of this whole list of examples, the, the author of Hebrews doesn't stop only at what we might call the positive examples. He talks about people who um, we might see having so-called bad or negative outcomes. Where, you know, these people, as they are following God in faith, they end up being mocked, they end up being tortured, they end up being uh, in poverty, and they end up being killed. And again, it repeats this same idea that we see in the middle of Hebrews 11. It says, And all these people, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. So why? Why do people uh, in the Bible, why do people in the history of the church, and why do people today continue to walk in faith to follow God even though there is no guarantee. There is no guarantee that you are going to live a comfortable life. You're going to enjoy all the promises that God has to offer. You're not, you're gonna, uh, you might, in the worst case scenario, end up being tortured. You might end up being mocked by people around you. You might end up being imprisoned or be killed in this lifetime. Why would people continue to walk in faith? Um, and in verse 40, the order of Hebrews talks about God providing something better for us so that apart from us, the people that have gone before in, the, in Hebrews 11 should not be made perfect. So what is it that we have that those people that have gone in the Old Testament do not have? 
or rather what is the, the question might be who do we have that they do not have that's where we're going to go next okay um, but before let's let's do a mini conclusion very quickly um, faith is trust obedience and faithfulness to god we've covered this multiple times as we talk about the different examples of faith faith is knowing that what god has for us is best and better than anything that we can find on the earth that all these examples of faith decided that what they saw in god's promises is way beyond anything that they can imagine on this earth and that's why they keep following god and finally living in faith can be uncomfortable where where i'm not here to promise you that if you decide to follow god and if you're following god and you decide to live in faith um you're going to have a comfortable life you're not not all of us here is god's going to give us some magical apartment in downtown manhattan he's not going to ensure a stable job you're not going to um, have a high like a high salary um, and then meet like the perfect spouse you know have like multiple children or something like that whatever your idea of the perfect life is um, god doesn't guarantee that so why then why then live in faith that's where we go into hebrews 12. Um, so actually i know the series about hebrews 11 but hebrews 12 is actually where the call to action is it's the crux of it like knowing that there are all these examples of faith what does that mean for us so first uh, verse one part of verse one says therefore since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses so the witnesses are all these people who have been listed in hebrews 11 including people who have not been named who have lived a life of faith they are witnesses because they bear witness to god's faithfulness towards them to god being able to lead them to provide for them in times of need um, and to fulfill some of the promises that he had at that point in time and it tells us that since we have examples of all these people that have gone before us what should we do the author of hebrews says let us also um, lay aside every sin every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us so he's referring to the life of faith as though it's a race okay um, of course, not entirely sure uh, what's the analogy that the author of Hebrews has, but you could imagine like it might be like a relay race, you know, like you're passing the baton of faith onto someone else that comes after you. So let's move on for a bit here. Um, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Um, so, remember at, at the end of Hebrews 11, we asked, what is it that we have that the people of, in Hebrews 11 did not have? Um, and the missing piece is Jesus, because at that time, Jesus had not yet come. But Jesus came and is an example of the fulfillment of God's promises. And he is the example of what is to come 
in the kingdom of God, in the, in the, new, the new city, the new heavenly city. All right? Um, and I have, the, I have a diagram later that hopefully <laughs> explains it a little more clearly. Okay, but let, um, actually, yes, let's do the diagram first. So we have the people of Hebrews, uh, people of faith in Hebrews 11, and they're telling us that we are following God, but there are promises that God has given us that we have not received. And why is this so? Because all of these examples is pointing towards a promise that will only be completely fulfilled when Jesus comes again. And that's the heavenly city of God that we just talked about, a city that is so perfect where God will be so close to us. No one's going to wonder whether God is hearing our prayers. You're not going to have to question whether God is, is paying attention to you because he's right there with you. He's living with you. And there will be no more death. There will be no more pain. It, there will be no more suffering that we see in our own lives and in the lives of people around us and in the world. Um, but unknowingly, the people of Hebrews 11, they are also pointing towards Jesus. They are pointing towards a Savior. Okay? And Jesus himself is also pointing towards, Jesus himself is telling us, I have come, but I'm here to tell you that there is something in the future where God's promises will be completely fulfilled. And where does this put us? When we follow Jesus in faith, we join this group of witnesses in Hebrews 11, where our lives of faith continue to point towards Jesus and point towards um, the kingdom of God that is to come. And that's, that's, you know, like the race that is passed on from one generation to another. Um, there's this part that I didn't cover earlier, I left it for here, where it talks about Jesus who for the joy of, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. So I, I think this example of Jesus is so um, precious because if we are ever called to, to suffer for the name of Jesus, um, like those people in Hebrews 11 verses 35 to 38, people who were mocked, who were flogged, who were imprisoned and who were killed, we can remember Jesus who shares in the same sufferings. Um, there's this quote from, I believe it's a philosopher, I, I'm not super familiar with him, but there's this quote that is that I find really powerful. John Lennox says, at the heart of Christianity there is a cross, and the central claim of Christianity is that Jesus Christ is God incarnate, meaning God um, in the flesh which raises the question, what is God doing on the cross? At the very least, that shows me that God has not remained distant from human suffering, but has become part of it. All right? Sometimes we ask, you know, like, why? Why do we follow God and God brings us through such difficult times? Um, I, don't, I don't always have the answer for you. I don't always know what God is doing by bringing someone through like torture, uh, sickness, um, imprisonment, and even 
being killed for the gospel. But what we can know and what is precious is that God is not saying that you go suffer, I'm just going to sit here. Because by sending Jesus Christ to die on the cross, he has, he is, he has said that I am part of that suffering. I'm going to go through that suffering with you. So Hebrews 11, verse 1. Now faith, um, this is where we all started, the whole series. Now faith is the confidence of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So God's kingdom, God's heavenly city, will only come in its fullness, will only be completely fulfilled as a promise um, at a future time. We, we don't know how far that is. Only God knows the time. But does that mean that God um, doesn't fulfill any of those promises then while we're still in the present? The answer is no, because we have, remember that faith is evidence of things not seen. Okay, so we haven't seen God's kingdom in its future, in its fullness, but we have evidence of it right now. And what's this evidence? This evidence is the Holy Spirit, God dwelling in us. Remember that in future there will be a city where God will dwell with his people. And that promise is partially being fulfilled today because God has put his Holy Spirit in us. That God dwells in us and we can speak to him. We have a connection with him. We have a relationship with him. We have um, unhindered access to God even now. And in the midst of suffering, we find the peace and hope that we see in God's future kingdom. And in the midst of suffering, we find supernatural patience and endurance. We see provision in times of need. We see healing um, and healing of, of illnesses that science today still struggles to heal. Uh, we see resurrection of people who have died for, for various reasons. Um, those things do happen. And these are signs of what God's future kingdom um, will be like. So it's not, as, it's not completely as though, you know, like this box is a promise that God has made for us in the future and we're not going to enjoy it today. Um, God is saying that that complete promise will be in the future. But even before that, um, you get to enjoy what God has promised us. All right, it's, it's like um, the Bible uses different analogies for this, and I'll give you like a few of mine, okay? So it's like going, going to, I don't know, like a festival, you know, um, or a grocery store. Okay, I, I'm, I'm from Singapore, right? So I, I'm not entirely familiar with um, grocery stores and supermarkets in the US, but in Singapore and in um, many Asian countries, you could go to like a grocery store and they would, offer you samples, okay, like food samples, like um, how about you try this meat and if you like it, you can buy like a whole packet of the frozen meat, okay? Um, and imagine if you're buying a house, you don't, you don't always pay for the entire apartment or the entire house in full. You maybe make a, like a deposit or like a down payment and then you can start living in that house. It's the same way, God is telling us that we're not just, God is not, wait, God is not distant, God is not saying that 
um, yeah, you're going to just suffer until I come again. But he's saying that you can have a sample, a taste of what God's kingdom is like in future. And that comes through Jesus and the Holy Spirit. So let's bring this all together. What does this mean then? Um, the people of faith in Hebrews 11, in the early church, in the history of the church, and even today, they have seen the promises of God and they are convinced that God can and will fulfill His promises. And these promises mean so much to them that they are willing to change the direction of their lives and plan their lives uh, around making decisions to follow God. Okay, let's sit on that for a moment. They have seen something in this box of God's promises and they have decided that it is so valuable, it means so much to them that they are willing to do everything to obtain these promises. That's what it means to live in faith. Um, and I think over, over the two years that we have been as a, as a church plan, um, there have been many conversations about faith, whether it's on a Sunday morning message or it's in private conversation. I'm sure we have had opportunities to hear about how people have lived in faith as they, as they follow Jesus. So this brings us really to the, to the conclusion um, from the start of time, and in Hebrews we have covered a whole lengthy history of, of Bible characters, but from the start of time, um, there is an ongoing story that is anticipating the ending. And all of Hebrews 11 is trying to tell us, this is the ending. This is the ending, which is the city of God. God's heavenly city, the kingdom of God that is in all its fullness. And the question that we have to ask ourselves today is, where do you fit in this story of faith? Remember that diagram. We, we have heard all these examples of people who have gone before us. Um, but where do we join in this race? What does it mean for us to be living a life of faith? Knowing that faith can require sacrifices and might put us through uncomfortable times. And knowing also that we are not all going to run the same, same kind of life, right? In a church, there's always going to be people in different professions, people doing different things, people in different life stages. Um, and sometimes we might look at someone else and say, you know, like, wow, why doesn't God call me in that life, you know? There are, there are, there are Christians in this world who are called to be um, great business people. They're earning lots of money. Um, they're, they're giving a lot to the kingdom of God. And sometimes we might look at them and we're like, Wow, I would love to be that person, you know, like, like why am I here planting a church? Uh, why am I here, you know, um, struggling in New York City? Why can't I be that same person who's following God but earning a lot of money and being that financial provider of, of God's church? Um, but that's, that's, that doesn't matter to God. 
what matters to God is not how much we earn today, what kind of accomplishments we do in this world, but the mark that God is looking for is whether we're following Him in faith. Okay, so let's, um, let's rise and then worship and close with a song, um, the New Jerusalem. And as we sing, um, let's just wait on the Lord and let Him reveal you know, reveal a vision of what it means for us to to be following God in faith. So will you will you rise? Mm-hmm.